Well, good evening, Hallows Church. My name is Jeff, and I also serve as one of the pastors here with the, the Hallows. I'm focused primarily up at the North Seattle Expression, which has been up and moving forward by God's grace for about six months now. We launched in uh, February, and God has been very gracious towards us. We have much to be encouraged about up there. But it is always nice to be back here in Fremont to uh, uh, be with you in this way as we open our Bibles together to uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, uh, the passage our friend Willie read for us just a moment ago. So let's uh, head over there in your Bibles if you'd like to track along with me as we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, there were two men who were hired to perform the very same job, the very same taxing job of clearing a field of its trees. Now, the owner of the land offered to pay each man individually based on how many trees each man was able to clear from that property over the course of the day. And so he gave each man an axe, and he said he would return at the end of the day to see how they had done and to, and to pay them accordingly. The first man wanted the day to be very profitable. In fact, he needed the day to be very profitable because of various debts and demands that were weighing him down in his, in his life. And so he got busy straight away swinging that axe. He was focused. He was serious. He sweated and strained and chopped down tree after tree as that day wore on. Now, the second man, on the other hand, seemed to be working far less than the first. He did not seem to be in such a hurry. In fact, he sat down to take several breaks throughout the course of the day. He even took an extended lunch break as the first man continued chopping and clearing as many trees as he possibly could. Now, by the end of the day, the first man looked like he was about to collapse. He looked very weary. Every muscle and tendon in his body was screaming for relief. But the second guy seemed surprisingly relaxed and rested. He was smiling. He was telling jokes. He did not seem at all to be stretched or strained like this first man seemed to be. And yet it turns out this second man chopped down significantly more trees than the first man did. Now, as the first man began to realize this, initially he was somewhat baffled, and then he was frustrated, and then he was somewhat angered and annoyed. And he said to the second man, I don't get it. I was working so much harder than you were working. So many times, he said, I would look over and you were taking a break or you were eating your lunch. And yet you leveled far more trees than I did by a wide margin. And so how did that happen? How is that possible? The man asked. Now the second man, he paused for a moment and then he smiled. And he said, what you did not notice, my friend, is that each time I took a break, each time I sat down to rest, I was not doing nothing. He said, each time I sat down to rest, I was doing something. You see, while I sat there resting each and every time, I was also sharpening my axe, too. As this man rested, and based on how he rested, he was able to be far more effective and far more uh, productive than this uh, first man was. And so I'd like to ask you today, would you say you're more like the first guy in this story or the second guy? It's an important question, and one I'd like us to consider as we move through this passage together today, as we talk about the type of rest that you and I need most, that you, need, you and I need more than, more than anything else in this life, really. And so how do you rest? How often do you rest? Are you able to even, are you even able to rest deeply in this season of your life in ways that, 
that sharpen the axe, so to speak? Or do you feel perpetually stretched and strained and, and running on empty? And I am talking about physical rest here, but I'm not talking only about physical rest. I'm also talking about spiritual rest and emotional rest. And so are you getting that? And how are you getting that? The answers to these questions serve as an important gauge for each of us, I think, in a certain sense, a gauge of whether the gospel is functionally active in our hearts and in our lives on any given day or in any given moment. As Christians, we affirm our belief in the God of creation that we've been talking about these past few weeks. We affirm that He is big enough to create and sustain all of reality as we know it by the power of His Word. But one of the greatest tests of our own beliefs, one of the greatest measures of the internal consistency of our own beliefs as Christians, is when you lie down to sleep at night, how is that going? Are you able to put your head on the pillow each day trusting God with the small things of your life as much as with the big things of this universe? And when you wake up day after day to face all of the uncertainties of this life, which you will face and which you must face, how is that going? Are you finding deep rest in your inner being? Or would you say most of the time you feel more restless than, than rest did? Now, you may know that when it comes to our physical rest, scientists have long known that it's not the length of sleep that we need most, it's, it's the depth of that sleep that's most important for us. You've probably heard about this, this deep sleep, this REM or rapid eye movement sleep. It's what we really need, they say, to be, to be at our best. And so we cannot take eight one-hour naps interspersed throughout a 24-hour period and be anywhere near as effective as we would be if we enjoyed a stretch of deep sleep, this deep REM rest that we need most of all. And this passage, Genesis, Genesis chapter 2 and others as well, would say that the, the very same concept applies to our spiritual lives too. We need a certain depth to our spiritual rest and refreshment if we are to be at our best. But how do we do this? How do we get the type of rest that we need most? This most certainly is not easy, especially in the frantic and frazzled culture of our day. We all struggle with this at some level. It's hard not to feel weary and weighed down by life at times in this fast-paced world in which we find ourselves. It is possible as Christians to believe deeply in our God and to trust deeply in the future uh, reality that uh, our God promises to us in the gospel while still struggling to experience the type of deep rest and refreshment that we need on a daily and practical basis. I know this to be true because quite often I feel it. At times, if I'm going to be honest, I feel more restless than rested and restful. And so why is this the case? And what are we to do about it? How do we escape the weariness? How do we escape this inner restlessness of our hearts and instead take advantage of the deep rest that's been made available to us in the gospel and in Christ. I'd like to explore this passage and these sorts of questions under three headings today. The First, the reason for rest, and that is why we need it. The struggle to rest and how we so often get this wrong. 
and the experience of rest and what is possible if we get this right. First, the reason for rest. Now, we've seen so far in this first chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we've seen God going about the work of creation. We've seen Him bringing order out of chaos. We've seen Him bringing light and life and beauty to the void and the darkness of this world. We've seen Him creating and enjoying His creation as He created it. And then we also saw God giving man and woman a unique purpose and role in the world that He, he had created. He says, be fruitful and multiply. There's work to be done. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the birds and the fish and the animals. He's saying, go and be productive in this world that I'm entrusting to you. And then after doing all this, after creating all this, we're told in this passage, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, that on the seventh day, God rested. That's pretty interesting. God rested from all the work that he had done. Why would the Bible tell us this? Was God tired? Did God really need to slow down and catch his breath? Was he worn out after all this? One of the things we actually see as we will see as we explore this passage together today is that God's rest in this passage was not so much rest in the ways that you and I think about rest. In addition, the rest that is talked about in this passage, we'll see, is not so much for God's benefit as it is for ours. One of the reasons I say that is because in the very next book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, God basically says to his people, I want you to follow my lead. I'm setting the pace for you. I want you to follow the same sort of rhythm in your lives that, that I did when I created all things. Listen to Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 to 11. God says, six days and you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Several chapters later in Exodus chapter 31, God would tell his people why he wanted them to do this. He would say to the people of Israel that this day of rest, this Sabbath day as it would be called, will serve as a sign. It will serve as a sign of, your, of, their, of our relationship and what I've done for you, God says, and how I delivered you from Egyptian slavery and how I provided for you as you wandered the desert for 40 years. And so this is God saying to his people that the rest and refreshment you need most comes to you as you remember that I am your God and as you remember what I've done and as you commune with me and as you trust me. Later, Jesus would show us throughout his life and ministry the importance of uh, infusing intentional times of rest and communion with God into the busyness and, to, and into the demands of, of life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says, But now even more the report about him, him being Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Similarly, Mark writes in chapter 1, verse 35, and he says, And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, 
Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, one of the striking things about these passages is the fact that Jesus often withdrew from the crowds at times when it seemed like he was most in demand. Hundreds, if not thousands of people in those moments were, were waiting for Jesus to help, help them and to, to heal them, to teach them and to, and to bless them. They were primed and ready. The opportunity was great and the need was even greater. And yet at times we see that Jesus would with, withdraw from it all. And so why would Jesus take time off like this when there were so many people in need of his help? Was he being irresponsible? Was he being neglectful or lazy? We know it is not these things, but Jesus, I believe, understood that human brokenness and human need in this fallen world are truly endless. And his purpose at that time was not necessarily to fix everything and everyone who was broken. The Bible does tell us that will come later. But Jesus knew that in order to accomplish uh, the purpose for which he was sent, he needed, he needed to remain spiritually strong. He needed to remain spiritually uh, grounded and connected to his Father. And that required regular times of prayer and meditation. That required regular times of rest and recuperation. And he knew his disciples needed this very same thing. In Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he said to his disciples, he says, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. So Jesus did not demand nor desire that his followers labor to the point of exhaustion and burnout. Rather, he knew that they too needed periods of rest in order to be most effective in what he would be asking of them. And so it is with us today. We need to find the right rhythm and the right balance between our work and our rest. But we do need to be thoughtful and intentional about this. Because as fallen human beings living in a fallen uh, and broken world, our concept of work and rest is entirely out of whack. Most typically, we are not like the wise woodman, woodsman who was taking advantage of uh, his times of rest to sharpen his axe. Instead, we tend to run ourselves ragged, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to live up to various expectations, and trying to, trying to measure up to our own standards and the standards of others. And so we work, and we strive, and we strain, in fact, for many in our culture, busyness is seen as something of a badge of honor and respect. One of the most common default responses when you ask someone how they're doing is, oh, I'm, I'm really busy, I'm, I'm crazy busy. And then the response that you hear quite often in reply is, well, that's a good problem to have, it's better than the alternative. It's almost a form of congratulations. I don't know how many times I said those things and, and heard those things over the course of my career. Now, of course, there's a sense in which we do have to live up to certain responsibilities. There is work to do. We do have bills to pay. We do have families to provide for. But in hindsight, I can't help but see that for me, 
all of that busyness in some ways was, was a hedge. It was a, it was a hedge of sorts against my own inner emptiness. I was trying to answer my own internal restlessness, or at least to squelch it as best I could by, by keeping very busy in my life. After all, my life could not possibly, possibly be trivial or meaningless if I was as busy as I was. Surely my life had importance if my calendar was always packed full with uh, meetings and appointments and projects. Friends, I do know that many of your career paths are intensely competitive, especially in a city like Seattle in the year 2017. I know because I've been there. The demands are high. The expectations at times are unrealistic. There's no guarantee or security necessarily from one week to the next. And as a result, it's hard not to feel restless and and anxious and overwhelmed at times over all that is being asked and expected of you. Not only that, for, for many, it has become harder and harder to separate work life from personal life. Because of technology, many can now do their jobs not only in the office, but from their phones or at their homes or while on vacation. Because of technology, work spills out into every nook and cranny of our lives for many of us. But therein lies a great danger. We can easily get swept up in all this and really begin to lose track of ourselves and lose track of any sense of balance. We get so caught up looking to our work for our value and for our worth that we lose track of who we are and what matters most. I know I did this along the way, often without even realizing it. A guy by the name of John Gardner says this, he says, we can keep ourselves so busy, fill our lives with so many diversions, stuff our heads with so much knowledge, involve ourselves with so many people, and cover so much ground that we never have time to probe the fearful and wonderful world within. He says, by middle life, most of us are accomplished fugitives from ourselves as our work dominates and controls us. And so we have this outer busyness that can very easily sweep us up and kind of seize control of us in our lives if we're not, if we're not careful. But do you know there's a deeper problem underneath it all that's really driving that outer busyness? There's a sort of work underneath the work, so to speak. Underneath all that outer busyness, there's an internal busyness, an internal restlessness that's the source of really so many of our struggles in this life. And it's really this inner restlessness that drives us to to work as much as we do. It's this inner restlessness that leads us to be worried and to be anxious, to be depressed. It's this inner restlessness that leads so many people to seek escape with alcohol or with pills or pipes or needles. It's this inner restlessness that leads us to feel deep down that we do not fit in, that we will never be enough, that we will never measure up, that we will never be in this life who we could be and who we should be. We have an inner busyness, this internal restlessness that entered the picture when sin entered the picture in Genesis chapter 3. 
But the truth is, this inner restlessness, though it's always been there, I think it's, it's very much intensified by the particular cultural moment in which we find ourselves. I believe this digital age in which we find ourselves is making us more restless than we've ever been. We have a seemingly limitless number of options and choices before us each and every day. There are an overwhelming number of competing voices vying for our attention and for our allegiance. According to a 2016 article in New York Magazine entitled, I Used to Be a Human Being, every single minute that goes by, there are 400 hours of YouTube videos uploaded. Every single minute that goes by, Tinder users swipe profiles over a million times. Each and every day, there are literally billions of Facebook likes. And so in many ways, we are being swept up by social media. We are being inundated by news. We are being saturated with information. The possibilities for distraction, for diversion, for deception are greater than they have ever been. And the information coming at us is by no means neutral. We're being told what to care about. We're being told what to believe. And we're being told how to think. The author of that same article says this. He says, Do not flatter yourself in thinking that you have much control over which temptations you click on. Silicon Valley's technologists, he says, and their ever-perfecting algorithms have discovered the form of bait that will have you jumping like a witless minnow. He says, no information technology has ever had this depth of knowledge of its consumers or greater capacity to tweak their synapses to keep them engaged. Some app designers refer to this as captology, or the art of capturing people's attention and making it hard for them to escape. A guy named Nir Eval, who is an author, a game designer, and a Stanford University professor, he wrote a book entitled Hooked, How to Build a Habit-Forming Product. And in that book, he explains why applications like Facebook are so effective. A successful app, he writes, creates a persistent routine or a behavioral loop. The app both triggers a need and provides the momentary solution to it. He goes on by saying, feelings of boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, and indecisiveness often instigate a slight pain or irritation, and they prompt an almost instantaneous and often mindless action to quell that negative sensation. Gradually, he says, these bonds cement into a habit as users turn to your product when experiencing certain internal triggers. And so it's no wonder why we feel so restless. No wonder we pick up our phones every couple of minutes, whether we need to or not, looking for that next uh, fix of affirmation or approval or novelty. We're trying to quell the negative sensations that we feel within, this, this internal angst. And we're being increasingly conditioned to be and to feel these ways on a widespread scale by those who exploit these restless tendencies of the human heart for their own personal gain. And so do you see this? Do you sense this in your life? Are you doing anything to address this in your life in any meaningful way? 
We do need deep relief and deep rest from ourselves and from this world more desperately now than ever. But it's not easy. It's not a simple thing. Let's talk now for a moment about why that is. Let's talk not about the reason for rest, but about our struggle to rest and how we so often and so easily get this wrong. First of all, when you and I think about rest, most of us mistakenly believe that all you have to do to get the rest you need is to stop working. You need to simply cease the activity that is making you tired and that is wearing you down. You need to just chill for the weekend. You need to relax. You need to take a couple of vacations a year and you should be good to go. But the Bible, I think, would say that you're being naive if that's your concept of rest and your approach to it. Because all the vacations in the world will never give you the rest you need if you're not understanding and approaching this rightly. But it's not easy. This deep rest for our souls is not always so easy to come by. We know this. The Bible says this, in fact. It reminds us in a number of places that our rest in Christ is not necessarily a simple thing to take hold of as a practical matter. It is not automatic. But I do think this passage gives us an interesting clue here about this. Remember, we're told that on the seventh day, God rested. And so what does that mean? What does it mean that God rested if he was not tired? Well, we need to remember what was happening up to that point in the creation account. We need to remember what uh, God said each time he made something. He kept saying something uh, again and again. He would make something, and then he would take it in, and he was enjoying what he had, had created as he was creating it. That's why he would make something, and he would say, it is good, and then he would make something else, and he would say, that's good. And then when he got to the very end, he looked at all of it, and he said, he said it is very good. Friends, when this passage tells us that God rested on the seventh day, at some level, I think, it's telling us that God was satisfied in all that he had accomplished in the work of creation. And so you see one way to think about God's rest in this passage, and really a reasonable definition of rest for us too, is to be satisfied, to be fully and utterly satisfied in what has been accomplished. Because it's only then that you can finally put your doing down. It's only then that you can truly relax when you're fully satisfied with what's been done. But here's the problem, and it's a big one. Here's why we struggle to find deep rest. Here's why we can't shake this inner restlessness of our hearts. Because it's hard for you and I to ever be fully satisfied in ourselves and in what we do. We try, of course, we try really hard. In fact, we often spend our entire lives trying. But we can never quite seem to get there. Because how do you ever know when you've done enough? There always seems to be more to do and more to accomplish and more to achieve. And so that's what we do. This is why NFL quarterback Brett Favre, who's a three-time MVP, 10-time All-Pro, Super Bowl 31 champion and holder of numerous NFL passing rec records, that's why he would say, I was only ever as good as my last pass. This is why the sprinter in the famous movie Chariots of Fire would say that each time he got out there to run, he knew he only had 10 seconds to justify his existence again. 
trying to find satisfaction and deep rest in our own selves and in the things that we accomplish is ever so fleeting and ever so dangerous. This is why Academy Award-winning movie producer Sidney Pollack couldn't stop making movies even though he was sick and dying. Even though his family was pleading with him to slow down, he could not stop working because he said he could not justify his existence if he stopped. He said this, Everybody needs to feel that they're doing something that justifies their being here. I feel I need to earn my stay. I feel I need to say, here is why my life counts. Here is why my life is worthwhile. Here is how I get a sense of validity and acceptability. He says, I make movies. But get this, he also said, I have to keep doing it. Because I make a movie and for a while I feel I've earned my stay. But then that feeling fades and I have to go back and make another. He was looking to his movies to be enough to to bring him rest and satisfaction in his life, but they clearly were not enough, and that's why he could not stop. And then he died. And you may say, well, that's sad that he would approach things that way. But we do precisely the same sorts of things, don't we, if we're not careful? Often, without even realizing it, we do try to measure up. We do try to prove ourselves to those around us, to ourselves, to God as well. But friends, the more you do that, the more you will inevitably find yourself feeling restless rather than rested because the work is never finished. It's never enough and it's never done. We're never able to say it is good and to be fully satisfied in any lasting sense if that's the way we're approaching our lives. And that, friends, is one of the greatest keys to finding the deep rest that we need, I think. We need to be freed by the gospel from this inner need to be good enough, from this inner need to measure up and to prove to ourselves and to others that we're important and that our lives matter. You and I cannot and will not ever be fully satisfied with ourselves and with our accomplishments as long as we try to find our rest and our satisfaction in what we do rather than in what Jesus has done. And so can you see that? Can you admit that? Can you see where your restlessness is really coming from? Can you see that ultimately your restlessness and your worry and your anxiety are not so much psychological as they are theological? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says there's a deep spiritual rest available. There's a deep poise, a deep calm of conscience and of heart and of soul. So let's talk about that as we finish up. Let's talk about the experience of rest that Jesus offers and how we, how we get this right. Now, I've got to tell you, I do struggle with this at times, with experiencing this deep rest. At times, I feel weary and restless and overwhelmed with this world and all its division. 
and in my own life with all the expectations and demands that are placed on me. As I was preparing this sermon over the course of the week, Thursday rolled around, and as often seems to be the case with me, I found myself feeling anxious and a bit panicked even as this message was not coming together easily or, or efficiently. I was feeling anxious and restless because after all, people are counting on me. You all are counting on me at some level. People are looking to me in ways that I'm not, still not entirely used to and still not entirely comfortable with. But then I paused, I prayed, and I slowed down, and I applied this teaching to my own heart. And I was, I was reminded in that moment that my value and my worth does not depend upon what happens here today. I do want deeply to bring a message to you every time that I do this that is, that is biblically sound and that is meaningful to you in your life. But at the same time, I have to remind myself relentlessly that God's love for me and how He sees me does not depend upon this. His love for me does not depend on what you think of me or what I think about myself either. It does not depend on this sermon or any sermon. It does not depend upon how well I lead my missional community or how effective I am as a leader of this church. It does not depend on how fast or how big this or any expression of the Hallows Church may or may not grow. As much as I do want for our church to grow and to reach many hearts and lives in this region with and for the gospel. And so I found myself pausing and and reflecting and, and praying. And I found a certain freedom, a certain liberation in Jesus in that moment. I found freedom from myself and my efforts in real time in that moment as the Holy Spirit reminded me that no matter, no matter how my day is going, no matter how my ministry is going, God's love for me is steady and secure because of Jesus and because of the gospel. God's love for me does not waver because of my inadequacies or my insecurities. It does not rise or fall because of my shortcomings or my failures, which at times my enemy and your enemy wants us to believe. And it was refreshing and renewing to allow God to change my mind and to change my heart in that moment. My axe was sharpened in that moment, and it helped me to press on and to, to trust Jesus and His promises rather than trusting myself and my own feelings. And I think this is one of the ways that we experience rest, practically speaking. We find our rest not in a particular day once each week. Rather, we find our rest in a person and a relationship in real time, moment by moment, as we find our satisfaction and our hope in Jesus and His work rather than our own work and ourselves. This is why the 17th century monk Nicholas Herman would say this. He says, We must, during all our labors and in all else we do, pause for some short moment, as often indeed as we can, to worship Jesus in the depth of our heart, to savor Him, to believe Him, and to rest in him, even though it be but in passing, and as it were by stealth. 
This is the sort of real-time rest and worship that can, can completely change the course of a moment. It can completely change the course of a day. It can completely change the course of your life if you'll let it. As you look to Jesus' work on the cross as your greatest satisfaction and as your ultimate rest, do you know that leading up to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was sweating drops of blood because he was struggling so greatly with what he knew was coming? He was overwhelmed and anguished to the point of death, we're told, because he knew that the hour had come. And then on the cross, he was crying out, he was writhing, he was calling out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you know what was going on there. The Father was turning away from Jesus so he wouldn't have to turn away from us. Jesus on the cross experienced a certain restlessness. He experienced a cosmic restlessness beyond our comprehension as he was cut off and separated from the community of love with the Father and with the Spirit that he had enjoyed for all of eternity. Jesus experienced cosmic restlessness so that you and I wouldn't have to and so that you and I could find the deep rest we need in him. And so do you see that? Are you resting in that today? I do think we need to be honest to ourselves and about ourselves for this to work, though. We need to be willing to acknowledge and admit and confess how we've been trying to find our satisfaction and our rest in ourselves and in our efforts. We need to see that we've been trying to be good. We've been struggling to be right. We've been desperately striving to live up to the demands of our parents and our peers and ourselves. Friends, whatever is bugging you today, whatever is bothering you, whatever is draining you, whatever is making your, you tired in your soul today, it's very likely because you're trying to find your rest in yourself. And as long as you insist on doing that, the work is never done and the restlessness is never gone. Only in Jesus and in the gospel can you be satisfied with what has been accomplished without ever feeling like there's more work to be done. It is finished, he said, as he took his final breath for you and I. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your gospel and what it means uh, to us and for us. Father, thank you that your word is timely and timeless. I pray, God, that you would use your word in these moments and in the coming days to do a work in our hearts and in our lives that only you can do. Would you lead us into the deep rest that we need most? Would you help us find freedom from ourselves and from our striving and to instead be fully and utterly satisfied in Jesus? God, would you continue to change our hearts, and to change our minds, and to change our lives? In Jesus' name, amen.